It has to be in the power of Christ, doesn't it? It won't do us any good to stand in our own power for very long. That's for sure. Thank you, music team, for leading us in worship. Great to join our voices together. I have a request here sent to me. It says, Father, when you start the service off this morning, would you tell all my friends to pray for me? <laughs> That's Carmen. She's doing really, really well. She, she just, you know, has more trouble when a flu hits or something of her oxygen level going down. So that's why we take her in and then they get her on oxygen. And she's, she's been doing, she's real comfortable and doing well. So thank you for your prayers. I know that everybody has been praying. Well, let's look to the Lord before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we can stand in the power of Christ, and he is the strength that we need to uh, move into and stay in, is in his strength. And thank you that you give us that extra strength or that powerful strength to stand for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, On this special Sunday that we call Palm Sunday, You know, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, presenting himself as the Messiah King. That's his kingly ride into Jerusalem, into the city, the capital city. And you have the wild, well, you have the crowds wildly cheering. I believe that this will give us a message perfectly suited for our time as we look at this. Now, you know, I've mentioned many times that in these latter days, many are choosing to walk away from the church and walk away from Christ. And even many are walking away from the belief that God exists, as as strange as that sounds. And some of these are very prominent ministry leaders with large followings. And they are basically saying, some of them at least, are saying, I don't believe it anymore. I don't believe what the Bible's saying. You know, some are saying they don't believe in God anymore. Or some of them are thinking maybe that God hasn't been fair to them and they don't want to follow him anymore or he can't be a good God if he does exist and he allows all this evil to go on or all this hurt to go on or innocent people to suffer. But I would like to answer that beginning this morning with the story in the Bible of the death of Lazarus. It's in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 10, Jesus is in a discussion with the Jews who are, you know, strongly against him. And they're going to kind of going back and forth. And into the discussion, you know, after they give words back and forth, <clears throat> uh, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That's kind of like towards the end of the discussion. And they get so angry that they pick up stones to kill him, accusing him him of committing blasphemy against God. So it ends up that Jesus leaves the area, you know, as 
He's, they're not allowed to do anything. God doesn't allow them to, to hurt him. And he leaves, and he goes back to where John was baptizing across the Jordan. But shortly after that, Jesus receives an urgent message that his friend Lazarus is sick. And so he tells his disciples, well, you know, there, there's some discussion that goes on there in chapter 11 of the, of the Gospel of John. Jesus with his disciples about Lazarus and his sickness and that sort of thing. And eventually he tells his disciples that they must go back to near Jerusalem. Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. So they must go back into the area. And his, his apostles, his disciples, they just can't believe it. They're saying, you can't go back there. They just tried to stone you. You know, they got mad when he said he and the Father were one. But Jesus tells them they have to go back. And he says, if you walk in the daylight, you know, you'll know how to walk. You'll see where you can walk. And he's talking about God protecting him because he's going to be doing what God is telling him to do. And then in that discussion, he ends up telling them that actually Lazarus is dead. Because the message was that he was very sick. And Jesus says, what I'm telling you now is Lazarus is actually dead. And he says, and I'm glad that we weren't there. I wasn't there just before he died so that you will believe. So he's saying there, it's better for him to have been gone when Lazarus got sick. Because in that case, Jesus if he would have been there when he was sick, he could have just healed him from his sickness, right? But now, going back when he's dead, he says, for your sake, they're going to see something so much greater. And that's the plan of God, isn't it? And now in this, think of God's timing and his providence, the way he controls everything. Jesus left the area because the Jews were ready to stone him. That put him out of touch during Lazarus' deathly illness. And now, because of that, you know, it, it's a horrible thing that the Jews wanted to stone him, and it was bad that he got driven out because of that. But now there's this greater opportunity to strengthen the faith of the disciples because of the way God orchestrated it. So you see, and this is true all the time, God is putting all things together, the right things at the right time for the best results, to make his plans come true. And that is the way God often works. And to us, it doesn't always seem like it makes sense. You know, we don't want Jesus to be driven out of somewhere with people threatening to stone him. <clears throat> but this is the way that God planned it for this, these results. So they returned to Bethany, like I said, which is two miles from Jerusalem. So it's a dangerous area. It's Mary and Martha's hometown. Mary and Martha are sisters to Lazarus. And here's what happens in Bethany. Basically, <clears throat> <excuse me. clears throat> everyone is disappointed in Jesus. 
when he gets back. And this is what I mean. Martha goes out to greet Jesus when he comes into town or comes into the area. And she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, you know, they know that Jesus could have healed his sickness. Then she goes back. You know, Jesus and Martha talk through a little bit. <clears throat> and I'm skipping a lot of the details. Then she go back, goes back and tells Mary that Jesus has arrived. Well, Mary jumps up and goes to greet Jesus. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So it isn't like they were mad at Jesus. But they were so disappointed that at their time of greatest need, he wasn't there. They're disappointed. And they know that if he would have been there, he could have healed their brother just with a word. And then they go to the tomb. Jesus says, well, where is he? They go to the tomb where his body lay. And when Jesus gets to the tomb, we, we all know these words, he wept. And he, he weeps intensely. He's weeping over Lazarus' death. And there are people that are there. There's a lot of people because, you know, when Mary and Martha lost their brother, it was customary and, and friends and neighbors and everything would come in and try to comfort those who have lost someone. And so they're, this, they're still there and they're watching all of this at the gravesite or at the tombs. And there's the comment in the Bible that, look how much he loved him. So they could see that Jesus really, really loved Lazarus. But some of them there that were watching, they said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So here again, not only Mary and Martha are expressing their disappointment that Jesus was not there at their time of need, even the bystanders are saying that they're disappointed that Jesus wasn't there in Mary and Martha's time of need. But you know, <clears throat> if you know, if you know the story, you know that Jesus calls lifeless Lazarus, you know, dead Lazarus, out of the grave. And of course, that turns, the Bible talk says, it turns many people to believe in Jesus. So because of that, you know, Mary and Martha see that Jesus is the life and the resurrection. And then many people turn to Christ because of that. So again, we see God working things out for the eternal good when things looked only bad. Jesus being forced out of the area by the Jews who were doing something evil actually turns into something very good because God works things in that way. Lazarus becomes deathly ill. Jesus is not there. Mary and Martha being so distraught over Jesus' absence at their greatest time of need. But in God's timetable, things turn out even much, much greater. And you know... <clears throat> That also seems to be the cry or complaint 
of our day, you know, in a sense. Because we see, and, and, and everybody sees the injustice going on in our world. We see corruption. We see people suffering, innocent people suffering even. We see evil increasing. Depression is on the rise. Everybody knows that. The statistics are just so, so in our face, especially in the younger age groups. Many are taking their lives, you know, much more so than it's happened in the past. And the younger, the more. Many people are seeing <clears throat> no meaning in their lives. Um, People are committing suicide. The Nashville shooter sent a goodbye message to a friend saying, by the time you get this, I'll be dead. Now, you know, part of the problem in all of this is that we can set ourselves up for disappointment and disenchantment when we take it upon ourselves to decide what God should be doing and when he should do it. You know, instead of immersing ourselves in the scriptures and seeing all the ways that God works and how he does things and his timing, which is often not our timing, instead of looking at the scriptures and seeing how God deals with people in different ways and for different purposes, we sometimes in our minds devise the way we believe he should work. And then when he doesn't work in our timetable, we get disenchanted. We get disappointed. And when his ways don't match to what we have decided God should do and how he should do it, it depresses us. We may even get angry. And that's what's happening today with so many people. When they list the reason they, they, they walk away from the faith, they list these things that they see, what they feel, or why would God do this? But you know, when we do that, we're, we're doing is we're putting ourselves in the place of God. And we're telling him how he must do things, and what order he must do them, and how fast he should do them. And with that mindset, you know, when we, we have set up God's schedule for him, and it doesn't happen according to schedule, then we're not able to really rest in his love and his wisdom and his sovereignty and his grace and find that peace that he has everything under control and he will get us there. So the people at Lazarus' grave are disappointed that Jesus was not there to prevent his death. They just see that as Jesus not being there in their greatest time of need. But we know that in this instance, Jesus did a much greater thing by showing himself to be the resurrection and the life. And that's what he told Martha. He goes, I am the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> Now, you might be wondering why we began this Palm Sunday sermon with the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. 
But it just so happens that the raising of Lazarus is a major turning point in Jesus' journey toward the cross. So I'm going to read from John chapter 11 and verses 45 to 53. And we'll get into that narrative. Now, this is after the raising. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary... And, and see, like I said, neighbors, relatives, all would come to comfort the, the mourning sisters or the mourning people. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. So you're seeing the results of Jesus delaying his visit. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, the high court. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. So he's saying it's better to kill this one person than to let him live and we lose our nation. Now he did not say this on his own, But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And he wasn't meaning that, was he? But that's how God used his words to bring about truth. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So... The raising of Lazarus was the final straw as far as the enemies of Christ were concerned. Then John tells about a dinner given in Jesus' honor at the home of Mary and Martha. And Lazarus was also there. This was six days before the Jewish Passover feast. And let's read, it's in chapter 12. And it's 9 through 19, I think. It says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So you can see Lazarus still is is having this influence, you know, the raising of Lazarus, the death and raising. So the chief priests... I'm wondering if I got the right passage here. Uh, Let me go back a little bit here. Um, Jesus goes to the home of Mary and Martha. And then Martha, uh, Mary pours out this real expensive perfume. Pours it on Jesus' feet and the fragrance fills the room. Judas complains, one one 
passage in another gospel says that the disciples complain. This passage says that Judas complains that the perfume should have been sold and money given to the poor. And also John says there that Judas was the purse keeper and would help himself to the contents of the purse. But then Judas says, leave her alone because God has, intend, God has intended that this perfume is to be for my burial. Now watch what happens here in verses 9 through 11. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, you know, at Martha and Mary's house, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So we can see Lazarus is still having an effect, a good effect here. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So Lazarus actually plays a very significant role in the part, this part of Jesus' journey. God is orchestrating all of this. He's putting together all these diverse elements to carry out his perfect plan. You have the death of Lazarus at this very time. You know, Jesus was there with them, then he left, and then Lazarus dies. And he had to leave because the people were going to stone him. Then you have <clears throat> the death of Lazarus. You have Jesus raising him in front of all these people. You have the response of the people coming to, to the Lord because of that. And you also have Jesus' enemies deciding that something now has to be done. This was the turning point for his enemies. Because they're thinking, if he does any more, we're going to have the Romans come in and take our nation. And then six days before the Passover feast, which was the day that Jesus died, of course, you know, where they sacrificed the lamb, Jesus' body is being anointed for burial, he says, as Mary pours out her perfume on his feet and the fragrance fills the room. And you see, Mary didn't understand that, but she did what, she was just doing something out of love for Jesus. And God says that was his anointing for his burial. And so really what you have here in this whole story you have God taking everything, good and bad, and putting it together to accomplish his perfect will. And probably almost all of it is outside of any human planning. It's God's will to have his sinless son become the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. And even though there are so many people against Jesus and what God is doing, and so much evil in the world, and so much evil that's causing so much trouble, yet God is fulfilling his plans. And so now we come to the fulfillment of the prophecy where the Messiah King comes to his people. The prophets predicted that he would ride in as king. So in verses, in chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, it says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. You can see how everything is working according to God's plan. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. God is going to fulfill his promises. Against all odds, against any plan that anybody can make, against even knowing that it's going to happen, God is fulfilling it. And using things that would seem to work in the, in the exact opposite way. He carries out his plans according to his wisdom. So if we can find it in ourselves, within ourselves, to trust in his promises, even when it looks like there's absolutely no way they could happen, we can be so much better off and we can, be so much, we can have so much more peace in our hearts if we're trusting in the sovereignty, the power, the wisdom, and the love of God. And so, as we look towards communion now, let me just read this verse from Romans chapter 11. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us and for your wisdom. And help us, Lord, to trust in you and help us to help others to trust in you and to know that you do things that are just so far beyond our imagination and you put things together that just don't fit. But yet, Lord, you, you bring them out and it's and you even use evil to work out your plans. And so, Father, we can rest in you. And we pray that our faith would grow in that direction. And we would be great witnesses for you. And, Lord, we look forward to all that you have and will do for us.